When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the latest episode of the View from the Bridge podcast. I'm Scott Trotter, Chelsea writer for Buddle London, joined once again by fellow Chelsea writer Bobby Vincent. How are you doing, Bobby? Have you recovered from yesterday? I'm good, Scott. I'm just trying to think of the last time we did one of these after a Chelsea win. I don't don't think we did one after Luton. That's obviously the only win this season, so it's been a while. It um, feels like we're always um, depressing our listeners, but yeah. Uh, I'm fine, thank you. Good, good. And made it home after your train station evacuation? Oh, God, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a nightmare. Well, yeah, so I was at London Paddington. It was five minutes for my train. I was just wanting to get back, do some work on the train. And um, then I hear like a really loud alarm. And the person, the guy who um, on the microphone was just like, evacuate the station immediately so i'm just like oh my god i'm scared you know i didn't know where it was <laughs> everyone's like sprinting out of the station i can hear like loads of sirens um police cars and what turned out to be fire engines as well um so yeah we, we all left the paddington station um in a big rush and we just sort of like waiting on the side of the road some people went into the pub opposite the road but it was really rammed in there by the time i would have happily gone and uh, had a beer but yeah, and then we were allowed back in probably about 20, 25 minutes after. Fortunately for me, they um, obviously delayed the train because no one got on it. So it didn't it didn't affect me too much. And um, fortunately as well, I think it was just like a, I heard the train announcer say it was a minor fire. So um, not really sure what happened there. I didn't, couldn't see any fire or smell it or see any smoke or whatever. But yeah, it was scary. I, I, like That might be quite a common thing. Um, in Paddington, like I'm sure it is, but I've never had it before. And it was a really loud, high pitched alarm as well. It's going off for so long, I can still hear it now. But yeah, that was a, you know what, you know, like on a Sunday after a long day, you just want like a basic, easy travel back. It just never seems to be that way. Um, it never seems to be easy, I guess, I guess a bit like Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the alarm bells are ringing for many people at Stamford yeah. Bridge at the moment. I think maybe. A few even were hoping for evacuation after Aston Villa went 1-0 up as well. Um, and I guess we, we have to talk about the defeat, um, as has become a bit more commonplace than we perhaps would have liked. Since starting this podcast, uh, Ollie Watkins' goal obviously separating the sides. I guess in many respects, the, the Chelsea performance was the same as what we've been used to. There were some good moments, lots of chances, lots of misses. I'm thinking Raheem Sterling had one. Enzo Fernandez had a really good chance in the first half. That ball from Ben Chilwell across the, the center of the box that nobody could get on the end two sticks out. Tassassi had a shot that went flying wide. I think Chilwell had a chance one-on-one that... 
Uh, Raheem Sterling opportunity, which I think he hit straight at the keeper, and it was flagged offside, but now it seems like it wouldn't have been offside and he could have had an easy pass to Nicholas Jackson. Right. It's And of course, Desassi had a goal ruled out for offside, another centre-back having a goal ruled out for offside after Colwell the week before. And I'm sure there's there's plenty more, um, but it did feel pretty familiar, didn't it? So familiar. Um, yeah, I wrote this in my piece this morning. Um, I was speaking, some Villa, some Villa fans um, were on the tube yesterday towards uh, Fulham Broadway, the stop right next to Stamford Bridge, and um, I was talking to them, got sitting next to them, and they were asking me, they asked me um, if I was a Chelsea fan, and I was just told them what my job is, and they, was, they were asking, what do you think the score is going to be? And I was like, I think either a draw or a Villa win, to be honest. And maybe they thought I was just saying that to, you know, uh, be nice to them, being Villa fans, but I was being like, deadly serious. And they were like, oh, no, we, we think we're going to get battered. And I was like, they obviously came off the back of a defeat in Europe in uh, midweek. I think they had mixed starts of the season. Um, they've played some tough games away from home. The likes of Liverpool, where they lost, Newcastle, they lost both pretty um, convincingly as well. So they were obviously not too optimistic, but I just, they obviously hadn't seen Chelsea play a lot in recent weeks, I guess, to think that Chelsea could batter a team at the moment. It just seems way off what it is. Um, in terms of, you know, how the performance is, I guess they have battered a few teams, but without doing the most important thing of scoring the goals. And yesterday was a, yeah, it's something we've seen loads before. Um, ever since we started this podcast, like you said, we, we've spoken a lot about lacking that killer touch, the end product in front of goal, lacking a top-class centre-forward, I guess, um, which, you know, in itself now looks more and more like a mistake not signing one in um, the summer transfer window. I, I still think there's a player in Nicholas Jackson. I still think some of the stuff he does aside from um, perhaps the stuff he needs to do, is very good uh, in terms of his off-the-ball movement, his work rate, his link-up with players, I think is pretty pretty good. Um, but in front of goal, he's a man very low in confidence at the moment. And I think we saw yesterday with his one-on-one chance after a really good ball from Mudrick. You said to me at the time, I think, Scott, he's made it more difficult than he needs to. He's sort of gone, sort of toe-poked it near post, um, sort of hit it straight at Martinez in the end where he probably could have just opened up his body and you know in pre-season he might have done that we we saw we saw a couple of goals from him in pre-season with really, really accomplished strikers finishes and a lot of people were starting to believe that Chelsea had finally signed this number nine who can finish in front of goal like you know like Didier Drogba I saw comparisons to that and obviously that felt very premature at the time and I, I'm sure they're more tongue-in-cheek than actual um, people actually being serious but yeah, he looks a shadow of a player in front of goal as we saw in preseason, and you're just hoping he can find a way through this patch. And it's not just him. I'm not. I'm not singling out him because you know the players around him haven't been good. Sterling started this season brilliantly. Um, you know, against West Ham and Luton in particular, he was excellent. But ever since then, he's almost tailed off a bit. I think. Yeah, like you said, he had that chance where he might have known. He might have seen the line of flag or whatever. He might have thought he was offside, but you know, with how late the flags go up now and VAR, you've got to, you've got to play because there is a chance you could be onside. Um, and he should have played it across. Was it to Jackson? I think. Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so there's, there's a few, and 
it's at a moment it's you're struggling to find struggling to see where the next Chelsea goal is coming from I, I guess at the moment they're looking more likely than anything in set pieces we've seen like you said Colwell last week and Sassi both have goals ruled out for marginal offsides um, but yeah I mean as soon as Chelsea don't score at half time before you know before um, the half time break then you're fearing the worst and you I think Villa were very ordinary first half, and I thought at when it went to half time and nil nil, I thought that Villa can only get better here, um, because we know they are, they are a good side. Villa, let's not forget that they, they've got a very good manager and some very good players. But it's still a game Chelsea should be winning, especially at home. And yeah, when it when it went to half time nil nil, it was rather inevitable what was going to happen. I thought, and obviously the red card, which we'll get onto, didn't help, but. I, I have a feeling the game would have ended as it did anyway without if it was still 11 versus 11. Yeah, I think you made the point, and I think it was maybe even before the game or certainly early in the game. When you see a Chelsea player go through on goal now, you almost fancy the keeper more than the forward. And I guess that's not what you want when you're a top side, and it's not what you want when you're any side. And I guess it, it's the same question that now getting asked every week is, is how do you fix it? Pochettino said yesterday it's about giving the players confidence. It's about working hard on the training ground. And as much as you kind of don't want to necessarily compare things to last season, given all the change that's happened over the summer, the, the, the form was obviously very similar. And that answer was pretty similar as well. We heard similar things from Graham Potter, from Frank Lampard, Yesterday, I think Pochettino said um, they have the squad they've got. That's something that Graham Potter said after uh, Aston Villa defeat in April as well. And, you know, there's this idea of, you know, they're having lots of opportunities, there's lots of good stuff. And obviously that is all true, but it doesn't really help at all, does it? No. uh, Yeah, it it does feel very much similar to the sort of last stages of Potter. And this isn't me saying that, I want Pochettino to be sacked, or I think he will be sacked. I don't think I. I still think you know Chelsea should give him time. I, I'm far from uh, Poch out at the moment, um, but it does feel very similar. And I guess that comes down to a sort of larger, larger context, really. Um, of you know, Tuchel had these problems. I know he, you know, Tuchel was very successful at Chelsea, but he still had get. They still had periods where they couldn't score, or they. You know, didn't look like scoring. Um, Lampard had the same both times he's been in charge. Um, Graham Potter had it, you know, more than most. And then obviously Pochettino now. So it does feel very much like, is it is it the manager? Because I don't think this is, there sort of has to be a common de- uh, denominator, if you will. And there's got, there's got to be something that's going wrong for all these managers. There is definitely a pattern. Um, and I guess that, that that comes down to stuff way below our pay grade. That's what people at Chelsea are being employed to do. Um, how the clubs run, how you know the whole setup, um, whether signing this many players is the right thing to do. It, it, a, lot, a lot of people have asked questions about it, especially players this young as well, because you look at Chelsea's average squad age, it's very, very low. It's one of the lowest in the Premier League. And yeah, I think these. it might be the lowest. I think it's like yeah. 22 and a half. I put in my piece this morning. I think the players they signed, the average age was maybe 20. Yeah, I think it's Burnley a second lowest, aren't they? I think they're like 23 or t- towards 24. 
Um, so yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. And having the having this many players, even if they were sort of had a few senior players in there as well, it's going to be difficult. But having this many players who are largely inexperienced and a lot of them have come from abroad as well, so haven't even um, played any football in the Premier League before. It, it's going to be difficult, and I guess that's showing now. But there are obviously other factors as well to why this isn't working. And I, I, I've, I've still seen, I've still seen some things from Pochettino that I've liked in terms of how he set his sides up. Um, like probably yesterday was probably the first time this season where I didn't think Chelsea played that well. I think they've played well in most of their games um, and had largely had control of it. But yesterday, especially in the second half, I thought they lost a lot of control of the game. Um, and, you know, without the help of Robert Sanchez, they could have easily lost that game by even more. But equally, they could have scored as well. But like we're saying, it just looks so far off at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I, I wasn't too impressed with Chelsea yesterday. And that is probably the first time where I thought they probably didn't deserve to win the game. Um, out of the previous five games in the league. So, yeah, that, there is definitely a discussion to be had. I, I don't think like getting rid of a manager is the right, right protocol. I don't think any manager in world football comes in at Chelsea right now and just turns it around. I just don't think that's realistic. Um, I just... Like, it, it needs time. It needs time like Graham Potter needed time. They didn't get, but obviously the short-term success is so important at Chelsea, and I, I just don't. They want this long-term project, the owners, but they're also very reliant on short-term success because we know that you know the fans can turn, um, senior, me yeah, senior members in the club can turn as well if they don't get the short-term success. So it's trying to find a balance, and I think Pochettino knows that as well. He said that a lot. He's he's he constantly goes on about it being a process and needing time. He's also referred to the importance of short-term success a lot of the time. But trying to find that balance is hard because, because of how young and inexperienced this new group of Chelsea players are. But I just don't I don't think sacking the manager is the right way to go because I, I just think Chelsea need to stop with the transitioning now because it just seems like we're always in a transitional period for Chelsea. There needs to be some stability somewhere. Like because there's been so many changes in the club, whether that's behind the scenes, you know, even even something like the stadium is being changed as well. There's so many, there's so many different changes. The players, there just needs to be some stability. And I think Pochettino, in my opinion, is the right man. And I don't, yeah, I'm not ready or willing to turn against him yet because, well, because I just can't be, <laughs> I simply cannot be bothered with. Uh, a whole new Chelsea manager because we literally just had that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it was interesting um, kind of in the embargoed section that we get in the press conferences Pochettino no it, it, it's very kind of easy and quick to to destroy something and I guess that sort of reflects how Chelsea you know sold so many players and you know they went on to, to other things but that it takes a, a longer time to, to build something and I think that's, I guess, what we're starting to see now. I think you mentioned the age of the players. That's obviously great difficulty. Pochettino has mentioned a lot about, you know, these players having the experience, getting experience in the league, but also experience playing together. Um, the way, I guess, injuries have panned out and 
the fixtures and the international breaks that you get early in and you know maybe even some of the later signings obviously Caicedo didn't come in until after the season started Lavia a few Cole Palmer as well um who I think maybe we could see a bit more of uh in the coming week but all those things mean that you know a lot of these guys have played what like two three four games together it's really not a lot of time and I guess it's unfortunate because you come into the season, good momentum from preseason. You see the fixture list and those games up until the second international break, which Chelsea now have Fulham and Burnley before, looked like a really sort of you know, winnable run, a run what you could kind of lay your platform out, that you could have some margin for error because of how well you could perform and you know give yourself a solid basis before hitting a period where now Chelsea, I think six of the next nine games are, include like City, Newcastle, Arsenal, Tottenham. I think Brentford are in there, Brighton are in there, Man United as well. It's Everton away as well, which is never easy, even though. Yeah, yeah thing, things are going to get tough and, and get tough quickly. Obviously, I know there's a suggestion that maybe uh, Chelsea will do better at, against a more open team, but obviously that back four is going to face a lot more pressure as well. And I think the thing I keep on coming back to when we talk about where Chelsea at, we have obviously the injuries and stuff and the, I guess, what people would call excuses, but they, I guess they are realities. And it just doesn't feel like there's an easy answer at the moment. Um, and I know something Pochettino was kind of very clear in pre-season in the, in the States talking about. He didn't want to give this team excuses not to go out and win. And I just wonder how long this form can kind of go on while the team still believes they can go and achieve big things. And that, that would be my only concern going into the next few games. And I guess kind of moving on from there, the experience of these players, what we're talking about, Pochettino did say after the game, uh, when he was asked about situations such as the Gusto red card, such as Nicholas Jackson picking up his fifth yellow card the season for a suspension, it was like, did, did the team need to grow up a bit? And I guess they do. They need, they need to learn how to play against each other and, from there, I guess we touched on about that yellow card. We we spoke about it last week. We wrote about it last week, and Nicholas Jackson picked up his fifth yellow card in six games and hasn't received one yet for committing a foul. Um, would been bewildered. Describe your reaction well to to that moment where Martinez sped up his free kick to bust it off Jackson's back. Yeah, I I don't agree with the yellow card yesterday. I think. I think Jackson could have moved quicker in the like he was sort of walking away, but then you know Martinez knew what he was doing. Um, he joined him, but and he knows if he kicked it, I mean, he's going to go Jackson. But I think he was a bit unfortunate yesterday. But the fact he's got five yellow cards in six games is it's not really on, um, especially for being a striker. I, I can't imagine there's too many players in Premier League history who've got five yellows in the opening six games, um, if at all, or without actually knowing the. Stats myself, but for a striker to get that, and like you said, from not committing a foul, I, Charlie, yeah, they do need to grow up a bit, I think, and um, it might do Jackson the world of good over time. That having this sort of there's more of a wake up call, I guess. Um, but there's a few as well. Like I think Ben Chilwell's now come up in his last three games. He's been booked, and twice have been you know as cameo appearances from the bench. So we must be like close to a suspension as well, and. Enzo Fernandez got a couple. Um, he spoke to me on Friday about 
talking to Enzo and Jackson specifically about their discipline issues and I think he spoke quite well on that. But then, you know, with, with yesterday's, I guess if you're Pochettino, you're probably not going to be too annoyed with Jackson because, like I said, I don't personally think it was his fault. Maybe he views it differently. Um, but he's going to miss the uh, Fulham game now, Jackson, which leaves Chelsea very short. Um, up top, and we obviously it was great to see Armando Breuer yesterday for um, you know for a brief spell. It was, you know he got a very good ovation when he came back on the pitch, and deservedly so because he's been out for so long. Um, but is he ready to start a Premier League game next week? I'm I'm not quite sure, and I'm not even sure Pochettino will risk that. He might go someone like Raheem Sterling up front, who's played there before for um, Man City and Liverpool. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what he does there. And yeah, Mano Gusto as well. A, I'm still really, I, I'm, I keep changing my mind whether I think it's a red card or not, to be honest. When I when I first, well, when we first saw it, we didn't really think much of it because I think we even said to each other, I think he gets a ball there. And then he does get a big chunk of the ball, but it is about, you know, the excessive force that he goes in with. And it's one of them. I don't like. I don't think it's intentional for him to go in high at all. I think if you if you slide tackle like that, naturally sometimes your your foot is going to go a bit higher, and it is endangering an opponent. Don't get me wrong, because that that is a sort of tackle that could break someone's ankle, and that's that is what the referee's gone off basically. So I don't necessarily blame him, and I know a lot of Chelsea fans might disagree with me um, here because I've seen a lot of uh, stick for the referee and the officials on social media. It's a game of opinions, but I just think personally, the more I see it, I think it is a red card because there is a chance that Ben turns into an ankle breaker and you can't really justify not being sent off for that. Um, at the same time, though, I do think it's unfortunate for Gusto because it's, you know, I, I don't think for one second he's meant to do it. He, he's just gone into aggressively slide tackle the opponent. And like I said, he, he mostly has got the ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, as soon as we saw it back yesterday, um, we have screens in the, um, where we sit uh, just behind the dugout. And I think we both sort of knew it was going to be a red card. And then when the referee goes over to the monitor, they, they never seem to, um, they always seem to use her on the decision, basically. So yeah, but a shame for Gusto. I think, I think he's missing for three games. Is that right? Yeah, um, I believe so. I think Chelsea might have the opportunity to appeal, but. I don't know. I think, as you said, it's one of those where when you kind of break it down for all that might look harsh, the studs are up. There's definitely an argument to say he was out of control, otherwise he wouldn't have went flying in the Dinya's leg. And yeah, it's just hard to see that being overturned at all, I think. Yeah, they may they may well appeal, but I'd, I'd be amazed if they overturn that because they talk about I guess they talk about clear and obvious a lot, don't they, with VAR? I guess it kind of applies with an appeal as well. And he, at the end of the day, he has caught his, he has caught him quite high up. So I, I don't think for one second that gets overturned. Um, but yeah, again, it leaves Chelsea, it leaves Chelsea short because Reese James isn't quite back yet. Although he did um, in yesterday's program, he spoke encouragingly, I guess, about being not too far away from a return, but. Chelsea yeah, and there was a couple of Instagram posts from him yesterday as well, yeah. saying soon and things yeah. like that. So, but you know, in an ideal world, Chelsea won't want to rush him back because of his, um, you know, his terrible luck of injuries in the last couple of seasons. But they may well need to if Gusto, you know, Gusto's out for um, three games. I guess we saw yesterday, we saw Tassassi go right back and he played well, I thought. 
thought he did well. Um, he offered a lot more going forward than I thought he would. Um, yeah. Being, you know, being a unit, basically, he's, he's very suited to playing a centre-back in with how he's built. But I thought he did well at right-back and it's a position he, he has played and I think Chelsea knew that when they signed him. See, Trevor Chalaba, we were not sure in the situation on him um, with his injury and, you know, there's been talk that he's been frozen out. And, but with, I guess, De Sassi is probably the um, obvious choice and that does bring, you know, Colwell back into the left centre-back equation. That, that, I guess, is a positive from all of this. Um, if you want to clutch at straws um, and then bring in Chilwell or maybe even Ian Matson, although we haven't seen him play left back on the Pochettino yet but as a left back you obviously got Marco Correa who I don't think is particularly fancied by Pochettino or the fans for that matter um, but yeah it could see a more conventional back four I guess um, in terms of Colwell playing their centre back and yeah, I, I'd be quite excited to see that. I thought he looked okay yesterday when he went centre-back. I thought he was really unlucky for the goal because I think initially he does really well to block Watkins' yeah. shot. And then it falls back to Watkins and it's some finish. Like, you know, you wouldn't expect him to put it in the far corner from there. It's a really good finish. He's a really good player, Ollie Watkins. Um, but I thought Colwell was quite unlucky with that. So, yeah, it, it's interesting to see now with Gusto and Jackson. It's going to change the team a lot and... Maybe that's a good thing in a way. Maybe it's a blessing in disguise because, you know, Gusto and Jackson, as much as I think they've done well, um, Gusto especially, I think Gusto's been really good. Um, obviously, they've been part of this team that haven't been scoring and haven't been doing very well. So, you know, a couple of changes may, may not be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, and I, I think it'll be interesting because obviously Pochettino has had this inclination to have a, a more limited fullback in terms of what they offer offensively in Colwell and then one more attacking. And that was true throughout preseason as well. It was rare that both fullbacks would, would provide an attacking presence. So I guess that's kind of going to swap going forward. We're going to see Chilwell probably attack. Something I'm probably really looking forward to is a bit of a, a Chilwell fanboy down that left wing, although I'm sure plenty of people will point to his, his finishing so far this season as well. But I'll be really pleased to see him on the left. I think both times he's came on against um, Villa yesterday and against Bournemouth, he, he's, you know, he just seems so available down the left wing, attacking from fullback. I think. Yeah, he's he's yeah. Colwell doesn't because he's a centre back. And um, I guess De Sassi, although like you said, was very keen to go forward yesterday, um, is probably going to be the more defensively minded fullback um, unless we see something completely different altogether. Uh, he sometimes you... alternates it between halves, doesn't he? I think we saw against Bournemouth, Colwell was more attacking in the second half and Gusto was more attacking in the first half. So he might switch it around between halves, just try and keep the opposition guessing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting how that affects the wingers ahead of them as well. Obviously, I think whether, you know, do we see Sterling swap sides? Does Cole Palmer maybe get a chance on the wing or in behind? Does Mudrick keep his players? I thought, actually, we'll stick on Mudrick. I thought he was a little bit unlucky um, that his substitution was kind of forced by the red card. He probably had another bit of a hot and cold performance, I think. Some really, really good moments, but he did lose the ball a lot when he when he took a touch. I, does he deserve another start, do you think? Um, I'd prefer to see Palmer in for him. Um, 
I, I don't think he was bad yesterday. It, like I said earlier, he played a sensational ball to Jackson. Jackson should have scored it. A reverse pass, he disguised it really well, and the sort of execution of it was perfect. Um, there were a couple of moments yesterday as well where he won the ball back, um, which we don't usually yeah. associate with with him. Um, but he, I think against Bournemouth as well, we saw a couple of side tackles, so I think he's been getting stuck in a bit more than perhaps we saw, uh, you know, towards the end of last season. Um, but yeah, I, I would be tempted to go with. Cole Palmer um, on the right and then Sterling on the left or you know maybe there's even a case for Sterling just dropping off the side because like I say he hasn't been amazing these last couple of games um, whereas like a couple of games ago I'd have said he's sort of undroppable um, I don't think that's necessarily the case now and but yeah I, I like you said hot and cold with Modric and that's sort of just been him at Chelsea so far and that's the one thing you want to see change you want, you want a bit of consistency from him um, but it's just at a moment, it's just flashes and glimpses of his, you know, his talent. We all know that, and it's frustrating. I think I said to you at one point yesterday, it's just like there's so obviously a player there. Um, but it's just like, where, like, how can you get him out? How can you unlock him? And I guess that's a task for Pochettino because it, you know, he costs the board a lot of money um, in January, and they won't, as with any business, they won't want one of the big money investments to go to waste. But. Uh, I'd be I'd be surprised if he started again um, next time out because yeah I mean I mean I don't think he's ever started three consecutive Premier League games and I, I don't think that will happen this time because yeah I just think there needs to be a bit of change and um, yeah but, but of course as well which I wasn't even um, factoring in with Jackson out maybe maybe there's more chance of him playing because like I said we could see Sterling up there. Um, or maybe yeah, like a small nine or something. So obviously, op- opens up another space on the wing. So I guess with Jackson out, there's more of a chance of him starting. But um, I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see him drop up the side. Yeah, it'll be interesting coming into the Brighton game um, because obviously, I think Jackson and Mudrick both played pretty well in that preseason match. Obviously, Brighton looking like a different force now that the season has started. Uh, Mudrick scored that outstanding goal against Brighton, so maybe there's some confidence to be found there from him. I think the one moment that I did really like actually from Mudrick at the weekend was um, early on, I think he got absolutely bodied by John McGinn and just kind of the physical profile. He, he didn't look up to the challenge and just kind of bounced off uh, the Aston Villa player and I think within 10 minutes, Mudrick had taken the ball off McGinn twice. And I, I don't know, I like that kind of tenacity that he has shown. He, he is obviously going to have to show more because, as you said, it's probably not enough so far. So it will be interesting to see how he's handled moving forward. And you might be right. Maybe more of a chance with with Jackson missing that game next Monday against Fulham. Um, I think another player I want to talk about. And before before you do that, I just wanted to ask you. Unless you were going to talk about it, um, maybe there's a shout of Ian Matson starting. You know, as yeah. one of the players, if they play. Say if Sterling was to go up front, like Sterling up front to me is probably the obvious one with Royer not really being fit enough to start anyway. Um, there could be a chance for Matson to play on the left. It's, he hasn't done that yet this season, um, not in the Premier League anyway. And we saw a lot in pre season, and I think he looked good there, Matson. And he offers, I think he offers something different to all the wingers in terms of his what he does off the ball as well. Matson, he's, he's sort of a workhorse there. So perhaps that's something uh, Potts will try. Um, against Fulham, not maybe not the most obvious sort of solution to your goal scoring wo- woes, but um, 
I think perhaps that is something we could see. Yeah, that, that I think that would be interesting with Chilwell as well. It gives it gives a lot of flexibility. Um, I guess both can tuck into that midfield to add another number. And like you say, Matson, I guess hasn't seemed preferred of late, despite kind of staying with the club. So it would certainly be interesting how his path kind of goes forward. Um, he wasn't actually the player I was going to speak about. The other one, I'm pretty surprised that I'm going to kind of speak about in this way, given the performances he, he has put in since joining the club. He started the season against Liverpool looking absolutely imperious and that he was going to, you know, be one of the best players in the league. But Enzo Fernandez since the international break, last two games, maybe in a bit more of an advanced role. One, I guess, a lot of people were looking forward to seeing him in. Not not quite a number 10 or anything like that, but certainly more advanced and does he just struggle to get in the game a little bit and looked a little bit frustrated? Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think, you know, yesterday came off relatively early um, and I guess sort of last season in particular, start of this season, you would have been very surprised and almost annoyed that Enzo's coming off because how brilliant it is to watch. But yeah, you're right. He hasn't, I guess it's not really been spoken about enough because um, like they're far bigger problems than Enzo. <laughs> um, but I do agree in, in a case where he he just hasn't been influencing games as much as we saw it. Like against Liverpool, he was you know he was fabulous. He was completely controlled that game. Um, so everything was going through him. But I get I guess maybe it's just like a settling in period. It's just advanced role. Maybe he feels like he needs to do. He needs to fix it. Maybe he's almost like trying too hard in that in that sort of regard. Um, but yeah, I, as much as I wouldn't say it's worrying at all because we we all know how brilliant he is and one of the best in his position in um, world football. And but I, I I definitely wouldn't be properly concerned about it. No. Do you think there's an argument that maybe? Gallagher should be taking that more advanced role and, and Enzo a bit deeper. I think, I think there's definitely an argument that Enzo could be deeper, but I wouldn't necessarily then put Gallagher um, further forward. I, I, I'd rather take, I'd rather put more like another attacker on the pitch than Gallagher further forward to say whether that's Cole Palmer in the ten um, behind the central central striker, and then you know Modric and Sterling or Madueke, who wasn't in the squad yesterday. Um, and then put Enzo deeper because we know he can do a job there as well. And, you know, we, a lot of people were sort of uh, very excited to see Caicedo alongside um, Enzo Fernandez, but we haven't really seen it as a two yet. Uh, perhaps some middle works. Um, yeah, I, I think there's better options than putting Gallagher forward. And again, with Gallagher, I thought, I thought he started the season really well, but hasn't, maybe hasn't been as effective in the last sort of couple of games. Um, again, I've, don't think it's too much of a problem for Chelsea. Um, I think they're bigger problems, but yeah, I, I, I could definitely make a case for um, seeing Enzo drop back and add it, putting another attacker up, up the pitch because um, who perhaps doesn't drop as deep to get the ball as Enzo? Because sometimes when when you look forward and there's a, there's only two or three Chelsea players forward when there should could be four or five um, in possession, and especially against teams that go in a low block. Um, you need sort of as many players as you can up there to try and hurt them. Yeah, I think it's probably not the worst point to have made because obviously I think Chelsea throughout the summer and even the start of the season tended to 
prefer playing with a bit of a 10. Obviously, Christopher Nkunku, I think we presume that probably would have been his role had he been fit. And Carney Chukwemeka obviously looked to start the season pretty brightly before they lost him to injury as well. So uh, is that the role you would like to see Cole Palmer in the most, do you think? I, I think so, just because as much as I like him on the right, and I do think he's a good player, and that's you know that's why he played for City most of the time, because of the talent they have. He probably wouldn't get in in the centre. Um, but I just think Chelsea have a lot of very good wingers. I say very good, they've not particularly been performing, but potentially very good wingers who... Um, I just I, I like attacking football, and I think we I think we all do. And seeing as many exciting players on the pitch as possible makes for better viewing, obviously. And having Cole Palmer in a ten, so it can accommodate the likes of Madawiki, who I really enjoy watching. Um, Raheem Sterling, who on his day I think is you know fantastic, and Mudrick, who we just spoke about, and there's definitely a player there. Ian Matson, players like that. Um, I would probably go with Palmer in the ten because. As well as that, we Chelsea haven't got as many number ten options as they do winger options, and you know you can you can put Gallagher or Enzo there, but, but it's not natural. And as much as I think Enzo could potentially be that for Chelsea, or definitely more advanced day if not a ten, um, I also think that the way he influences the game from deep is very good. And right now, with the situation Chelsea are in and the lack of scoring goals, I, I, I hardly think putting an attacker in is like the worst. Another, another attacker in is the worst option. Yeah, and uh, I guess another player who's kind of been highlighted, I don't know whether it's unfortunate, but obviously had a bit of an error in the build-up to Ollie Watkins' goal yesterday. Thiago Silva, turned 39 on um, Friday, has been an outstanding player for Chelsea, has you know, maybe been one of the best signings any team has made, given that he arrived on a free transfer and, you know, two seasons in a row probably was Chelsea's player of the season. He's in a back four now, something that had been avoided under Thomas Tuchel in particular, but then with Graham Potter as well. I don't think he's necessarily had a catastrophic start to the season, but maybe just a few moments of vulnerability. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's definitely not been the Thiago Silva we've known, you know, taken for granted almost since he's been at Chelsea. It's like every week you get six or seven or eight out of ten for Thiago Silva and you just been like, yeah, that's normal. Um, but he probably dropped a couple of fives and I think yesterday was probably one of them. And uh, I don't think he's great for the guy. He loses it um, quite, you know, like quite far back, but still loses it, and it turns out to be a goal. And there have been a couple of moments like that where I haven't been wholly convinced by him, but, you know, this was going to happen eventually. I, I, I don't think this is necessarily, you know, oh, he's lost it, he's lost his legs. I, I think it probably is just, you know, rough patch in form, which has coincided with a sort of really poor Chelsea side. There's only so much, so many times Thiago Silva can save you. Um, but, yeah, I mean... That he's got he's got a contract to the end of the season. Really wouldn't surprise it wouldn't surprise me if he went and signed a new one year contract at Chelsea, but equally wouldn't surprise me if he left and retired or went, you know, went back to Brazil. There's been rumors of that. Um I know there was a couple of Saudi Arabian clubs in for him in the summer as well. Um, but he wants to stay at Chelsea. So Chelsea have got of course they've got a you like to think they've got a plan going forward. They've got the likes of Wesley Fana who's out injured, Badia Shield who 
is a left foot centre back, but there's no reason to think that he couldn't play alongside Leroy Colville. Um, and obviously, you've got the likes of Axel de Sassi, who's not old at all. I think he's 25. Um, so they've got players there who can come in for him. Um, I don't think he needs to be dropped at the moment. Like I said, I think it's a bit of a rough patch, and I think he's um, the trust from Chelsea over the last few seasons. He's been at the club to keep him in the side and um, sort of let him prove you wrong again, and I think that probably will happen. Yeah, yeah, and let, let, let's hope so, I guess. And then it's a it's a quick turnaround for Chelsea. Um, I don't know whether that's a blessing or a curse at the moment in terms of players you know, continuing to get to know each other. Brighton on Wednesday night at Stamford Bridge once again. Has the Carabao Cup, you know, ever been more important for Chelsea in recent years? Yeah. Um, no, I guess not. Um, you know, most most years you'd probably look at this game and it would be a bit like, eh, from a Chelsea point of view, like, uh, Chelsea fans' point of view. I mean, you win it, great, you're into the next round, but... Equally, if you're out, then um, you're not too fussed anyway. Uh, but, yeah, I guess that if he, if Chelsea lose and would go out to Brighton, as that isolated in itself isn't necessarily the worst thing because Brighton are a very good side. I think they're third in the Premier League at the moment. And, um, you know, they've got a good recent record against Chelsea as well. Um, fantastic manager. Um fantastically run club I guess and but with the whole you know not scoring in three and a bit games Pochettino facing the pressure that was inevitably going to come if a a run of results like this happens then it does become bigger but yeah I mean whether or not it's viewed as that big by those up at the club I'm not so sure because Premier League would be a priority to get back into European football would be a priority. If they win a trophy along the way, then great. But and I guess it, if Chelsea had all of these, if didn't didn't have all of these injuries that they do, I mean, we were at a game yesterday and we saw behind the scenes there were just about ten Chelsea players sat around who were all out injured um, in the media bit, and it just sort of like shows you how many um, they actually got out. Um, if if they had all of those players fit in an ideal world, then I think a competition like this would be brilliant because you could get, you could, you know, get some minutes for those who haven't um, been able to get them. But at the moment, Chelsea's squad, I guess, is getting pretty stretched, which seems a bit mental to think because of the amount of money they've spent over the last few transfer windows. But that is the reality right now and um, the circumstance, as Pochettino keeps saying, that he finds himself in. Uh but yeah, I mean, Chelsea are probably going to have to go pretty full strength, I guess, on um, later in the week. And yeah, that, that, that's just reality right now. But um, I guess it becomes a bigger game because of that. And it's I can imagine, and this is this is no dig to the fans at all, but I can imagine Stamford Bridge will be pretty um, quiet on. Sorry, I, I can't think. Is it Tuesday or Wednesday? Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah, that makes sense. Could we finish on Sunday? Can, yeah. Anyway, I can imagine it'll be pretty quiet on um, Wednesday. Um, and I guess it. I, I guess it was yesterday as well. And I, that's just the situation Chelsea are in right now. When you 
think back to the first day of the season against Liverpool, it was it was very loud. Um, there was like a real feel good factor at the club after a you know a strong preseason and um, some exciting players coming through the door. But it just shows you how fo- um, quickly football can change. And like we're what less than two months from that um, day at Stamford Bridge, and it just feels like a completely different situation right now. And I'm just hoping there's a way out of it because we all know how it can end, boys. Yeah, I, I was thinking after this podcast, I might feel better about Chelsea, but if there's anything, I think I'm feeling nah, a little yeah. bit worse at the minute. I don't, think we were, I don't think we've ever done a podcast where we're like, oh yeah, Chelsea are brilliant. Chelsea are great. And it's always just like, yeah, Chelsea are really like, great and manager could be being sacked. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't think we're hopefully anywhere near that point just yet. Um, though, as I say, with these next games coming up, things things feel like they could turn quickly if the wrong results happen. Um, I think what I do kind of like about this Brighton game now, it's obviously not gone so well for Chelsea, but I don't know, because of the transfer business and maybe you know Chelsea coming out on the wrong side of things a few times in terms of the price they've been able to get for the likes of Caicedo, there's a little bit of bite in this game now, a little bit of feistiness, I think, and maybe with what Deserve you said about the likes of Colwell and stuff over the summer as well. So hopefully that little bit of needle can help inspire things. Um, you know, we obviously both realise Brighton's a very good team. They've started the season very well. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they rotate, but they're third in the league at the minute. Won five, lost one, scored 18 goals, three goals a game, Bobby. Can you imagine such things? Crazy stuff. Um, so it's, it is going to be a tough one, but it would be massive if Chelsea could get the win and, you know, we obviously look for turning points and launch pads, but it would certainly signal something unless, you know, Brighton all of a sudden decide to turn around and play all the kids or something crazy like that. Well, I think even if they did go and play all their kids and Chelsea could get a win, um, I, I do think it does, you know, winning games of football does give you confidence. Scoring goals does give you confidence and, you know, you got the. I guess Jackson will probably. We, we like to think we'll play now on um, Wednesday because he's not going to be involved against Fulham, so wouldn't necessarily need to rest him. And it, I mean, if he can get a goal too, that's brilliant. And um, I, I think as a striker, especially, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing better than um, scoring a goal. So it's exactly what he's not been doing at the moment. If he can do that, I guess whatever Brian side um, deserve he puts out, then I think that's only a positive. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think the game does definitely have added significance because of what's been going on. And yeah, it's a good point about the whole summer. Not just the summer, I mean, it's been the last few summers and um, with Mark Cucurea, although that was a lot more straightforward, I guess, than Caicedo and the whole Colwell situation and Graham Potter and Bruno, who apparently has left Chelsea now, um, Matt Law was saying earlier today. Um, yeah, so there's definitely a bit about the needle. I, I, I can imagine that probably... The case between the fans as well, because we saw a lot of stuff on social media of Chelsea fans and Brighton fans going at each other over the whole Caicedo and Colwell situation. So I imagine the, I think Brighton will probably have more fans as well because they're allowed more fans for a cup game, right? Away fans. Um, so I think I think the atmosphere will probably be quite good in the away end because you know why not? They're they're loving life at the moment. They're in European football for the first time or whatever it is, and third in the Premier League um, away at Chelsea, who have just obviously not been as good and um, got that sort of recent history of them. I, I think the atmosphere in that regard could be quite good. I just hope 
you know, I hope Stamford Bridge can get up for it. And I, I get that it's a two-way thing because I get the players need to give you something to get up for and the players also equally feed off the atmosphere. So it, it, it's a circle that sometimes never connects. Um, but yeah, for Chelsea's sake, I hope um, they, can, they can at least score a goal on Wednesday because, yeah, sort of, I think that's the least Chelsea fans can ask for. Yeah, I think there's some crazy stuff. As you know, they're, they're all flying about at the minute. The worst start since 1978, I think it was 78, 79. There's, they've um, not scored in 13 games in 2023, which I think is the most in every Premier League season, apart from one, of which the one behind them, there's still three months of the year left to go. I'm just trying to find the other one. I'm sure there's something where it's Chelsea haven't um, won a game unless they've kept a clean sheet. But I forget the time period that's over. And that's kind of, when you're not scoring goals, That that's damning, really. <laughs> well, that's what's going to happen, I guess. Yeah, um, I, didn't, I didn't realise that. Yeah, that's cra- that is crazy. I mean, the fact that I think is it six wins Chelsea have got in 2023. It's, uh, I, I think it is. Is it, is, is it as many as that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think where those six wins were. You definitely won't have a game. We got, we got Luton. Luton. Yeah, you were at Luton. Palace. Got, uh, Luton, Palace. Uh, Dortmund. Bournemouth away. Uh, Bournemouth, Dortmund. I don't know if they were... It might have been Premier League wins six. I'm not sure. Uh, Maybe someone will have to look up or someone can let us know in the um, comment section below, but... Yeah, I mean, it, even when you think that, it's like, where, where, where are those six wins? I mean, there's been a lot of draws. Yeah, um, yeah. I think even even that um, top 10 win stat that was around last season, that's not changed yet. That was Aston Villa last October. Um, and then I think, again, it might have been Matt Law. Out that there's not really been like a, a win against a... I don't know whether it was a top six side, but it was like Tottenham in January 2022, I think, was the last time they, they beat a big team, um, or traditional big team anyway. Um, and they haven't won many games since that, that time, I don't think. Um, I don't even know whether it was something crazy, like they've beaten 13 teams and six of them have been relegated. I think we need. I think we need a show dedicated to these stats. <laughs> you, could, you could just go on forever. Yeah, and that did sidetrack me from the point I was initially going to make. Is I remember what you were saying. No, but obviously we've looked at Chelsea's bench recently, and maybe you could put the argument it was a little bit stronger against um, Aston Villa. But just looking at Brighton at the weekend, um, so they were there was one all at halftime. They scored on on the brink of halftime, but then. Off the bench, they were able to bring on Matoma, Ansu Fati, Tarek Lamptey, and Joao Pedro. And I don't know Beleba quite as well, but he, he came on as well. Solly March isn't even getting on the pitch anymore after, you know, what a season he had last year. The momentum's just completely different to what Chelsea have got. Yeah, that's, that's mental. Um, I can't believe Matoma didn't start, to be honest. Uh, but yeah. I guess because they had played on the uh, Thursday as well, didn't they? So they had to rotate a bit. Um, but yeah, that that bench is crazy, and they're not necessarily like players you look at and be would think, oh, he's a you know world beater, he's world class. But at the same time, they're, they're so informed right now that 
you know, Chelsea are going to be signing them for 100 million in January. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, when you look at Chelsea's bench, it's, it's definitely not the same. Um, there's some good players on there, but uh, again, it's another stat that I can't think of off the top of my head, but I did see that they basically about how little impact Chelsea substitutes have had over the last 18 months or something it was, and, um, in terms of scoring goals. So maybe maybe that's an area we need to work on as well, but yeah, I feel like all these stats as well, it's like the way things have been going, I feel like six weeks ago we probably wrote a piece about how Chelsea substitutes weren't, you know, helping them convert matches into wins and nothing's changed, it keeps on going. Yeah, no. Um yeah, it's just there's a big old list for um Pochettino and his staff to work on and yeah, I just hope they find a way to get it right so we can actually like have a you know like a good mood, feel good podcast. Everyone's yeah, so I think <laughs> Leeds was it Leeds and Leicester were two more wins last season uh, in 2023 as well. Leeds and Leicester, yeah. We, oh, you missed the Leicester game, didn't you? Yeah. I, I missed the Leeds game as well. <laughs> you missed Leicester, Leeds, Bournemouth. Probably. Or did, draw, or did they draw with Leeds? Uh, I can't even remember. I did miss both games, but. I think they beat these. I think. I've got the list. So since January 2022, the teams Chelsea have won against in the league are Palace, Burnley, Norwich, Newcastle, Southampton, West Ham, Leeds, Watford, Everton, Leicester, West Ham. Um, oh, did I say Villa already? I've lost lost on the list as well. Bournemouth. Um, yeah, it's. Luton as well, of course. And I think we've maybe beat some of those teams twice, but when you consider six of them have went down, it's just like it's been a long time since Chelsea have shown they can compete with the upper echelons of the league, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's you know, some of it are quite far off at the moment, but at the same time I get I mean their performance against Liverpool in the opening day of the season was Oh yeah, yeah. The season and um yeah, very unlucky not to win that game. Um but you know, it's very similar to what we've seen in the following games as well. So, well, on that happy note, um, <laughs> I guess we'll wrap things up. Um, Brighton to come on Wednesday night. We'll be covering the press conference on Tuesday, so watch out for that or take a look on the football London website if you are tuning in after twelve thirty p.m. on Tuesday. Um, that is when we will be. Speaking to Mauricio Pochettino once again to preview that game, there'll be lots of content across the site, as always, um, as we search for, you know, shining lights in the dark clouds to, to try and inspire some confidence in Chelsea and debase any deficiencies that, that might unveil themselves as well. Um, so thank you once again for joining us. Thank you for plowing on through our... 55 minutes of optimism that we've shown you and uh tune in again next time <laughs>